Welcome to Alpha and Omega Ministries International. This ministry is committed to bringing apostolic alignment and restoration of the values and principles of the Kingdom of God to the body of Christ. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by the Word of God. Very interesting video, wasn't it? Very interesting. Now, it's interesting because it's not a Christian thing. It's not a ministry-led thing. It's just a bunch of scientists, anthropologists, social anthropologists who've, who've, who've surveyed people's lives their whole lives long. And they basically said that the key to the good life, I like that he used those words, the good life is relationships. So today I want to talk to you about the good life and what the good life ought to look like in the kingdom. I think Jesus said a lot about relationships. He spoke a lot about how he expected us to relate to one another as the body of Christ. There are relationships that we have with family, obviously, and friends and, and, and employees and, and colleagues. and There are different kinds of relationships out there. But I want to focus quite specifically today about the relationships within the body of Christ. Those that you are congregating with now, those you're, to, you're walking with and you're living life out with, those whom God has brought together who have very different visions, who have very different spheres of influence, but yet God has brought us together to enrich one another, to encourage one another, to speak into one another's lives. Ken Turner recently said that the church has replaced being together with doing together. In other words, we come together for the purpose of doing something. Uh, I like to say that we come together for a purpose rather than having togetherness be the purpose. I think we have something very beautiful in our various house churches, wherever they are, because of the smallness, the closeness, the intimacy of the relationships that will inevitably develop in that kind of setting. In a large church, I don't, I don't speak negatively of it, they, have, you know, they, they do good as well, but there is... A level of connectedness that that is very difficult to attain in a large fellowship. That's why they generally have home groups and small groups. Because we were, we were designed for that kind of intimate connectedness. Of living together. Of doing life together. I think one of the greatest problems within our world today, is, and, and, and very much within the church today is that our allegiance belongs to causes and not to people. And so if the cause changes, or if there's another cause, or if somebody suddenly doesn't agree with me on something in the direction we're going, the relationship becomes dependent upon the cause. I will be with you as long as we're in agreement. In other words, the cause is more important, or it takes precedence over the relationship. I've seen so much hurt and pain caused by this, so much disappointment of people whom God has brought together for, for their mutual benefit, not just for the benefit of some, but mutual benefit of being together, having that togetherness be the primary purpose. And yet over time, things happen and because we see things in a different way or because we can't agree on the direction or I think this is more important and you're focusing on that, we ultimately divide and we split and... And I believe this really grieves the heart of God. You see, a vision, no matter how good it is, it will either unite people or it will divide people. Would you agree with me on that? If I have a clear vision and you agree with me, then we can go together. We're going in the same direction. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? 
And we understand, obviously, not everybody is going to see things the same way. And not all people are called to walk together. There are different kinds of relationships, as I've said. Family relationships, work relationships, church relationships. But as believers, as the church, as the body of Christ, the Bible has a lot to say about how we relate to one another. And I think when we begin to understand the heart of God concerning these things, a lot of the strife and a lot of the division, we can do away with it. I really believe that. The first thing I want to, first place I want you to turn in your Bibles is the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want to read a few scriptures. And then maybe we can even have a little bit of a discussion around this uh, and talk about this a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, once again, I've probably shared this with you before, and we're going to visit 1 Corinthians a few times. The church in Corinth was in a great mess. There was a lot of division going on. There was a lot of strife, a lot of arguing. They were great in that the people were diverse who were coming together, but their diversity led to clickiness and, and division. Instead of having their diversity be something that they celebrated, it, it created friction amongst them. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says has this to say, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3. And I, brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people. Note the words spiritual people, because we're going to get into what that means. He says, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal or fleshly people, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able to receive it. For you are still carnal. You can, you can start getting a feeling of Paul's frustration here that there are, are important things that he wants to lead them into. But because of their immaturity, their carnality, he can't. He can't take them beyond where they are because they cannot sustain or walk in what Paul wants to give them. The true riches of the Spirit, the meat of the Word of God, because they can't even get the basics right. You know, if you give a baby meat, it'll choke. It will die. You would kill the church and those believers. He goes on to say, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving as mere men? And I really love those words, mere men. He contrasts spiritual people. And what does he mean by that? He means people that are led by the Holy Spirit of God. People that are not just led about by their flesh, but that their recreated man has begun to take dominance. Their new way of thinking, the mind of Christ has begun to take hold in their, a stronghold in their minds and has begun to be worked out in their lives. These people are saved. He calls them brethren. He, he, he calls them babes in Christ. So the issue here is not that he's dealing with unbelievers, but he's dealing with believers who live like unbelievers. They think like unbelievers. They're behaving like unbelievers. As though Christ is not a part of their lives and is not a part of their communion. And he says to you, I want to take you into the deeper things of God, but I can't. Because you look at the divisions among you. There's fighting. There's strife. There's backbiting. This one's talking about that one. This one's saying things about the other. And you guys cannot even come together in harmony to worship. 
we'll get into the, the Corinthian church a little bit later again. But the question is, what is it that gets in the way of true love and true fellowship and the unity of the Spirit? Paul addressed it in those verses. It is the flesh. It is the part of us that seeks its own way and that seeks its own benefit. Everybody out there who does not know God, who does not have Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, is out to take care of number one. Would you agree with me? I've got to take care of number one. In other words, that's me. If I, if I can take care of myself, then I can take care of everybody else. We only do things that benefit us. We don't mind if something benefits somebody else as long as it benefits us as well. Folks, this is carnal thinking. This is focused on self. And this is what causes divisions and strife and backbiting within the church and amongst believers, wherever it is that we gather. Folks, we're never going to agree on everything. Never. It's just never going to happen. Forget it. If, if that's what you think unity is, then you're never going to have and enjoy and experience true unity of the Spirit. So what is unity then? Unity then is when I begin to value what God values. What does God value more than anything else? Relationships. People. Folks, God values relationship and people so much that He sent His Son to die so that He could have relationship with us again. The whole reason God created us was for relationship. In other words, built into the fabric of our DNA is a need and the mechanisms required for godly good relationship. It is in the environment of good and healthy relationships that we were designed to thrive. That is why when there is strife in our life, we get upset, we get depressed, we get frustrated, we feel insecure. It's amazing, as soon as you start having strife, your insecurities, they, they come to the fore and we react instead of responding in love. All of these things focus their attention on us, on our well-being, on what people may think or say about us. It puts us first rather than putting others first. Paul writing to the church in Philippi. So a completely different church, a completely different environment has this to say in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Philippians 2 verses 1 to 4. And he says this. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy with be, by being like-minded. Now let's pause. He says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Michael, but isn't he talking about thinking the same or having the same vision? Let him define what it means to be like-minded. Because he goes on to do just that. He says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. In other words, having the same love. Being of one accord and of one mind. What does that look like? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or of conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. 
So he is saying here that the unity comes not necessarily through a vision or through an idea or through a cause. But we become united in the spirit when we are united in love for one another. We all seek the blessing, the benefit of others over ourselves. You know, what an incredible marriage situation you have where each partner is not focused on how they can have their needs met, but is focused on how they can meet the needs of their partner. Most strife and division comes in marriage these days comes because of that very problem. I don't feel I'm having my needs met. I don't feel I'm being understood. And so there's pressure to keep trying to make yourself understood rather than trying to understand the other. When we are led by the Spirit of God, like Jesus was, when He gave up heaven and He gave up glory and He made Himself of no reputation, He didn't have to be right. He didn't have to be anything to anybody. He just came to serve and to love His Father and, 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 and the object of His Father's affection, the people that He created. He laid His life down for them, for their benefit. And in so doing, He brought us all into the communion and the fellowship of His love. We are united today. We are one body. We, are, we may have different ideas and different ways of expressing that. But because Jesus laid down His life in love, that love has touched every single one of us. Amen? His love has touched our hearts. He has brought us into something that unites us. Something wonderful, something beautiful, something that literally changes us and changes who we are. And yet, because that very love has been shed abroad in our hearts, we have the power to do the same for others. How? Through getting them to agree with us? No. Just by loving them. The word for communion, I believe next week we're having communion. Is that right? The first week of every month. The Greek word for communion is kinonia. And it's the same, it, it's the, the word communion means coming together, to be as one. And we're going to look at that again a little bit later, as I said, when we go back to 1 Corinthians. In fact, you know what, I don't even have that in my notes. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, because I want you to understand this. And we'll look at it again next week. Very, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it right now. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because I want to show you something that is incredibly interesting given the thought pattern that we're following right now, and then we'll look at a few more scriptures from the other books. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you all know that from verse 23, that's what we normally read when we take communion. Uh, the Lord gave, you know, gave me these instructions, take the bread, give thanks for it, take the wine, share together. This is what you must do as often as you meet together in remembrance of me. And, and we know that scripture well. That's what we generally read and speak about when we take communion. But I want to show you some interesting verses in the same chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, read verses from, let's read from verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, when you come together, it is not for the benefit or the blessing, but it's actually you guys tear one another apart. You break one another down. You would actually, how, how would you like it if your pastor said to you, you would actually be better blessed if you didn't come to church today. Because that's ultimately what Paul is saying here. 
He goes on to say, First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it. For there must be also factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. And it talks about the jostling for position. And he talks, he carries on. But I want to, I want to put your attention to, to verse number 28. Or let's, let's read from verse 27. Speaking about communion, Paul says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let each man examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, let's just read verse 29. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. An unworthy manner. What does he mean by that? Does he mean in a sinful manner? Does he mean uh, that we have sin in our hearts or that we're doing something wrong? No. And I'm going to show to you why. First of all, if you carry on, it says, Not discerning the Lord's body. There is a little mark next to the name Lord's. Yes? And if you go look in the margin of your Bible, you will see that in the original Greek text, the word Lord didn't appear there. It's been added in to help us understand the scripture. What he's referring to is not the body of Jesus Christ in terms of his physical body. He's speaking about the body of Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I as the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. And he says to come in and partake of communion, kinonia, togetherness, when there is division and strife among you, you, you're doing it in an unworthy manner. How can you have togetherness and strife abiding together? You can't. Can't you even sort out your differences? Can you not care for one another and lift up and strengthen and embrace one another and encourage one another? He says, if you come with all this stuff among you, you come in an unworthy manner, and he says, you bring, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. He says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If I'm willing to judge my attitude towards you, am I walking in love? Is my attitude towards you right? Or are there issues going on in my heart? And if there are issues going on in my heart, I need to come and sort those out before I partake of communion. Because otherwise, I would be in my heart that I am partaking of the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus while harboring in my heart unforgiveness, offense, whatever it may be. The two cannot abide together. And that is what it means to partake of the body and the blood of Christ in an unworthy manner. Turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to read from the chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. And this is what Paul has to say. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Paul says, I beg you. I beseech you. These are not light words, people. These are heavy words. He is putting great emphasis on the next point. He says, I beg of you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. How do you do that? How do we walk worthily? How do we walk in a manner that is worthy of Jesus Christ and the calling upon our lives? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because he goes on to tell us. He says, with lowliness and gentleness. 
with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring, in other words, doing all that you can, working towards keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were all called, one hope of calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through and through all, and in you all. He rounds it off by just creating this wonderful picture of unity and oneness. You know, in John 17, where Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says, Father, don't take them out of the world, but let them be in the world. But they are in me, and I am in them, and you are in me, and, and all of us are together, and there is such oneness and unity. And Lord, just as I am in you, let them be in you, and me in them. And he's got this little thing where everybody is connected, and there's this unity and this flow of relationship together in love. And this, this, this passage in Ephesians is just so loaded. You look at churches today, and you look at people moving away and coming in, and and I ask you, where is the bearing with one another in love? What does it mean to bear with one another? It means to suffer long time. Bible calls that, we, that one of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. It's not suffering. Suffering would be okay. It's long-suffering. In other words, suffering long time. In other words, being patient with somebody. Oh, you know, if they don't change, I, you know, I don't know what else to do. How long are you willing to walk with them? How long are you willing to work with them and, 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 and be with them and in gentleness? Not forcefulness, gentleness. Lowliness of mind. In other words, what does lowliness mean? It means I don't consider my opinion to be the ultimate authority and I don't need to force my will upon you. But I, I, I just serve you in lowliness. I don't need to be your boss or your leader. doesn't matter if I've been in the Lord for 50 years and you've been in the Lord for two days. I'm just going to love you and I'm going to be there with you. And it says endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Folks, the fact that it says endeavoring, it means that there is a work that you and I need to do. What is that work? That work is to again and again resist the temptation to get into the flesh, to consider myself first and Remain that abiding intimacy of love with Jesus, that abiding, abiding intimacy with love with God that restores my soul, that brings me to a place of such security and safety in Him that all my needs are met so that I can be loved and help meet the needs of others. Look at what Paul prays for the church in Philippi. We read Philippians earlier on. Just turn, turn over a couple of pages. Philippians chapter 1. From verse 3. And he says this. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. Making request for, all, for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel. What is Paul praying for? He's praying for their fellowship. For their communion. For their togetherness. For the way that they live life together. For the way that the love of God is felt and expressed and worked out in and among them all, from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about here? It's very interesting. We think he's talking simply about their personal salvation. And while that is true, he's also talking about their corporate salvation. That he who began a good work in you together 
will be faithful to complete it if you will allow him. If you don't allow the flesh to get in the way. If you stay close to the Lord and are willing to suffer long. And you know, sometimes things are not always going to be exactly how you want them to be. Sometimes people leave church because, oh, the, the children's ministry was not what I wanted to be. Or the worship ministry is not how I like it. Or the pastor doesn't do that. You know what, is that, is that where God has connected you? Has God called us to a consumer mentality where we shop for churches like we shop for shoes? It doesn't matter what the church God has placed you in is like. If that's where He has placed you, that's where He wants you. For two reasons. Number one, because those people and those that group of believers has something that you need. And that group of believers needs something that you've got. And it's the fellowship of doing those things together, of living life together, of getting to know one another together, that these things rub against each other and they come, you know, I know when Andreas has been around my children. You know why? Because they smell like him. Pastor Andreas wears kuros. That is his aftershave. And I know when my kids have been around him because I go kiss them and they smell like my father. Being in close proximity with him, his fragrance has rubbed off on them. And that is what happens when we come together with love and mutual brotherly kindness. We rub off on one another. The good and the bad, folks. It's a messy business. We become like one another. Birds of a feather flock together. They become more and more like one another. Now, if we are all united in one purpose, in one vision, and if that purpose is becoming Jesus... Pursuing the love of God and allowing that love to change us and exude that love every day to those around us. Guess, what, guess what's going to happen? We find this thing called the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We, in a, we live in an environment where everybody has everybody's back. You know, somebody may be going through a rough time, everybody's cheering for them. They rally around them, they encourage them, they pray for them. They're there for them. It's not just about coming together for a meeting and then going home and living your isolated life again. It's not about coming, having a preach or coming and doing something. We, we do an outreach and then we go our separate ways again and we don't build relationship where we actually live life and walk and live together. Folks, the church is changing. And I believe this... Some apostolic guys that, that I've heard them recently say that the church is going through, the church, in other words, the body of Christ is going through a new reformation. And it is returning back to one of the root and key things, and that is relationships. You can build a huge church with a massive vision. And that vision may be from God, and it may be a good thing. But in the walk, working out of that vision, and making it happen, what is the relational cost along the way? How many people are going to be bulldozed, offended, hurt to make it happen? You see, when we make the vision the primary thing, we use people to make the vision happen. Do you know what I mean? In the business world, most businesses these days, their employees, are they call them human resources. They're a resource to be used for the purpose of the business. Ultimately to generate money. And when a resource is no longer useful, what do you do with it? You throw it away. Isn't it a travesty that so many churches are run this way these days? 
This is not what God has called us to, folks. Look around the room you're sitting in. Look at the people that you are sitting in that room with. That is who and what God has called you for and God has called you to. To love them, to be there for them, to help them, to put their needs even above your own. To help their visions come true. And they will help your visions come true. And so that collectively, God can work amongst us with many different visions. And lead us all together in a broader vision. Raise us up, disciple us, train us, teach us. Love us and let us love each other. Let's turn to one of the, the, to the Apostle John's epistles. You know what the epistles are, hey? The epistles are the wives of the apostles. So we're going to turn to the epistles of John and hear what he's, he had to say in the book of 1 John. Not the gospel of John, the, the epistle of John. 1 John. And we're going to read chapter 3. We're going to read a few verses from 1 John and then, then, then I'm going to close off and we can have questions and, and that sort of thing. 1 John chapter 3 verse 14. John has... Let's just look at John very briefly, if you will. One of the things that sets the Apostle John apart from the others, even in the writing of his epistle, Luke, for example, Mark, Matthew, they all write in a very systematic way. If you read the, 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 the writings of the Apostle Paul, also writes in a very systematic way. Very learned, very educated. There's a beginning, there's a train of thought that is followed through. John writes very differently. Even in John's Gospel, John focuses primarily on, in, on, on, the relationship, on the relational aspect, the relationship between Jesus and God and the relationships between the disciples. John is very, he, he focuses on that. It's, it's very nuanced in, in the way he writes to highlight those things. Also, John, John he, he, he writes in such a way that's quite exciting because he'll say, you know, the most important thing is to love. And then he'll bring that, follow that thought and then he'll come back here again. And then he follows that thought out this way and he comes back here again. And he keeps coming back to the same thing. Especially if you read these epistles. And the main thing, the principal thing, is love. John chapter 1 John 3.14, he says, We know that we have passed from death to life. What does he mean? We know that we are saved. We know that we have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. We know this because we love the brethren. Are you doubting your salvation? Well, here is one of the things. Do you love the brethren? He who does not love his brother abides in death. Those words are, are, are loaded. And he's chosen them very carefully. Because John is the one who writes the parable of the vine. John chapter 15. Abide in me, and I in you. And he carries on. You read his epistles, one of the things that comes up again and again and again. Abide. Abide in me. Abide in my love. Abide in the Lord. He who says here, he who does not love his brother. What does it mean love? It means put the interests of him first. He who is not willing to lay down his life for the blessing and benefit of the other, abides in death. His thinking is not according to life, it is according to death. It is not spiritual in terms of from God, but it is carnal, it is fleshly, looking out for its own first. Skip a verse, go to verse 16. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us. In other words, this is what life, love looks like. 
That's why when Paul writes to husbands, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You want a happy wife? Lay your life down for her. And we also ought to lay down our lives for who? For the brethren. For one another. To serve, to love one another. By this we know the love of God. That we love one another. I think it's also John who says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? That you have love one for another. What is the hallmark? It's not that you speak in tongues. It's not that you can heal the sick. It's not that you can prophesy or preach or have a big church. The evidence that you are disciples, in other words, those who are disciplined in the way of Christ, is that you love one another. That's it. That is it. That you love one another. It's not about evangelism. It's not about works. It's not about the programs. It's not about the doing. It's about the being. Being together in love, in unity of the Spirit. Turn over the next page. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You can see John is just going over the same thing again and again. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. Isn't that incredible? What a thought! If we love one another, God abides in us. In other words, the evidence that God is abiding in us is that we love one another. That we lay down our lives for one another. And this also means that His love has been perfected or come to maturity in us. That we're no longer babes in Christ. We're no longer carnal. We no longer have divisions and we're fighting and we're squabbling. And No. The love of God has come to a place of maturity in our hearts. And we love one another. I want to go back to the, 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 the video that we watched right in the beginning. The speaker said, The good life is built on good relationships. The good life. You know, it's very interesting. Something sparked in my heart that was so powerful when I heard him say that. A few months ago, towards the end of last year, I was in prayer one day with Pastor Andreas and Pastor Frank and Stephen and Siobhan like we do every Tuesday morning. And the words, La Dolce Vita, kept coming up in my heart. La Dolce Vita, it's Italian. It means the sweet life, the good life. And I wrote those words down in my journal. And I want to tell you something. I didn't understand what God was saying to me. La Dolce Vita. What, what do you mean the good life? God, I mean, that's a dangerous thing if we're going to start pursuing the good life. We think of the good life as meaning, you know, opulence and pleasure and all these things. I'm, so when this man said towards the end of that thing, the good life is built with good relationships. A penny dropped in my spirit. A penny dropped in my heart. And God was saying, Michael, if you want to pursue the good life, pursue good relationships. Pursue good relationship with me. 
and let that spill out into your relationships with everybody and anybody else. Folks, this is what it means to be the church, the ecclesia. This is what it means to have communion, to have togetherness. It doesn't mean that we agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we're all going the same way. What it means is that we love each other and we care about one another and we're willing to bear with one another and lift one another up and encourage one another. If that is our heart, the truth is we are all going the same way. That way is focused on the Lord. That way is towards each other. That way is to build something that Jesus came to give us. The church resplendent that the world will look at and long for that which we have. We will drive the world to jealousy because I tell you what, they can't find that kind of communion out there. Yet they were built for it. This is what we were made for, folks. This is what it's all about. And so I want to encourage you. I don't know what you may have been through recently. I don't know what the status of your marriage is, the relationship with your kids, the relationship with your colleagues, the relationships within your house church. Stuff happens. Life happens. How's your heart, folks? How's your heart? And perhaps it'll be a good idea before we have communion next week that you spend some time asking that question in the presence of God. God, how is my heart? Is there somebody you're wanting me to reach out to and lean into? Is there somebody you're wanting me to lift up? Is there somebody I need to apologize to and ask forgiveness for? What is it that you want me to do, Lord God, to preserve the bond of the Spirit or the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? Any questions before we close in prayer? Any thoughts, impressions? No? Then I want to pray for you guys tonight. Or this morning. Father, in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for the wonderful love that you have poured out in our hearts. That you showed us. That you demonstrated to us when you came to this earth, Jesus. When you lived and when you died for us, Lord Jesus. I want to thank you for that love that burns within us, that we can see, that we can feel, that we can sense, that we can know that we are loved. And I want to thank you that because of that love, we are empowered to truly love others the way that you love them. Father, I want to thank you that love always brings us closer together. Love never drives us apart. And Lord, I want to pray for everyone that is listening to this now. Father, that whatever they may be going through, I want to pray that you would help them to center their hearts in your love. I want to pray that you would speak to them. Show them who they need to reach out to. Help them, Father God, mend relationships. That carnality, that stubbornness has had a handle in where we've pushed others away, where we've bulldozed others, where we've insisted on our own way, whatever the case may be, Heavenly Father. 
Help us to love like you love Jesus. Bring us to the place where, that you imagined when, when you created your church and you put your spirit into our hearts and you poured your spirit out on, on flesh. Bring us to that wonderful place where you are able to change lives and, and through changing lives are able to change communities and through changing communities are able to change nations because of the love that you have given us, God. May your spirit guide us in this, Lord, and empower us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources and more information about this ministry, come and visit us at www.alphaomegaint.org.za.